Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. So today's episode is quite special. Karen and I have been discussing how it can be challenging working in small teams and not having another person to discuss when you have some technical roadblocks. So at the moment, I'm working in a team where I'm the only one focused mainly on data. Uh, when people have issues with data, they come to me. But if I have a challenge or a problem, there isn't always a technical support or a resource for collaboration. My colleagues have great knowledge of the industry I'm working on, but less capability in, in technical aspects. Now, as I said today, this is quite a special episode. Karen is here, of course. Hey. Um, and we also invited Abby, as we thought it would be great to share three different experiences in smaller structures. Abby, could you please introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Abby. I am machine learning engineer who I'm currently doing consulting where I have very different kinds of client and very different kinds of requirements as well based on the company. And like Cecilia pointed it out, which is every company has its own kinds of challenges based on the team structures and all of that. So that's what I'm doing right now. Other than that, I'm also working on my own startup uh, around AI agents, basically building orchestration tools for AI agents and writing a book on LLMOPS. Wow, you don't have a busy day at all. No, no, it's all empty. I sleep 12 hours a day. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> but I also, I mean, something you forgot to mention is you're also hosting a podcast. Yes. But that's that's more like a tiny thing. It's it's more like it takes one hour, two hours per week. So yeah, that's that's also another thing, which is I am the podcast producer for the MLOps community podcast. We have one episode going out, so I do editing and I don't co-host all the episodes, but I try to host at least one of the four episodes, like one episode a month. Very I can't cool. believe how much you you do. And um, when Cecilia said that today's episode was very special, I can't agree more because I, I think what we're going to cover is such an important topic because so many people find themselves in this situation as being the only or almost the only data person in, in the organization or at least data focused technically person in the organization. And sometimes understanding the differences between having a role like this or working in a bigger team is, I think it's quite useful useful. But another thing that makes it very special is that technology totally failed us <laughs> before we even started. So it took us about 15 minutes to actually get here and, and start chatting to each other. And now Zoom is restricting us to how much we can, we can chat. So <laughs> let's do this. So 
I guess you both shared a bit of your experience with your work and where I come from. I think I talk a lot in general about what I'm doing today and what I've been doing in the last few years. But I started my career being one out of two data. I want to say data scientists because at the time that's what it was, although it was more of an advanced analytics role with some predictive modeling thing, I guess. So it was two of us in the team that was managed by IT and both of us were graduates. So the other person that was here had graduated six months before me. And we basically jumped into an organization where we were the only data people, 20-something not knowing what we were doing really and having to run the whole data function for the organization. And I feel like this definitely defined a big part of, of my career and of my career path. So we're really keen to to chat about that today. How did you think it impacted uh, your career? Uh, a lot of good and bad things, I, I have to say. So I don't feel like I had an in-between experience with that. So for me, in terms of learning, I felt like I was very limited and I know that Abby has a very different point of view on that, which is amazing why we can have this conversation, the three together. But I felt like not having someone I could learn from meant that I was very limited early mm. on in my career. That's because, you know, everybody learns in a different way, right? So I learn way easier from others than going on the internet trying to find I can try to find answers by myself but it helps to talk things through with someone mm -hmm. hear about their experience and I feel like from that perspective it was a bit complicated the positive side though was that I learned very early that when you have to do data you have to get other people on board so data is not a game to be played just with data people is the whole organization. So when you're in an organization where data is new, it was very new, it's not a big thing. Getting people to understand the value of data, that's where I really understood the importance of that. Is that something you also feel the same in your organization or in, in the clients you're working with, Abby? I it feel more like at least for the companies that have worked with, a lot of them were ready to jump into let's apply AI right away. Uh, but what they didn't have was the first thing is because mostly I've worked with companies that have done pre-seed or have done seed funding, but are not necessarily like later stage companies. So there were two kinds of situations mainly. The first one was where they did have data, but it wasn't really labeled. So that was the first chunk where I've spent a lot of my time in my professional life working on is building data labeling pipelines so that we can label the data automatically. The second thing or the second problem was more so when it came to working or when it comes to working with teams, we've not really had a lot of people. So most of the times there's one software engineer on the team or one data scientist or, you know, or some variation of that in, in terms of matching. So for every single project, that's the way things are working, which is somebody handles data engineering, somebody handles data science. But we found things broken. The, the place where I came in for the teams were, they had the Jupyter notebooks, but they didn't know how to go past it. Plus tying it back to the business KPIs with something where 
I feel like I think it's a bit of personality thing, which for us, we've been trained as data scientists. Sometimes data scientists do tend to get stubborn and get upset. <laughs> when Don't know what you're talking hard, about. <laughs> it's hard to convince the business stakeholders about, you know, this is, this is what the data is saying. And Unfortunately, unfortunately, the way most business executives work is they have a strong intuition that this is how things should be. So as long as you have the data that validates those results, everybody is happy. But the moment you have any prediction that doesn't already validate what's going on, it takes, it's a lot of communication and navigating that communication was the third biggest challenge. So those were the three big challenges in terms of the companies that I've worked with. Yeah. And I guess that, so this communication thing that you, I can so relate to the data scientists being stubborn and also the, the business person on, on the side that acts with intuition. I was talking, well, myself and Cecilia has been talking about that loads, but I was also speaking recently with Steph Bell from Sensories, who was talking about, you know, the challenges of working in an organization that's been around for a really long time that was run on intuition and know-how and all these things. And then all of a sudden you have them building really big data and tech teams and shifting really how the business is is working so that that's quite i mean we could have a whole podcast about that yeah <laughs> just covering that topic for a whole year one more thing which was hard for me which is i, I am a person who's generally a little bit more focused which is i don't want the organization to be using too many tools I don't want the infra, the company to focus so much on the infrastructure, so much to focus on, hey, what is the highest amount of accuracy we can get out of this? While accuracy is important, I'm a more somebody who is more aligned with the business people in that sense, where I'm constantly trying to be they're always the more disliked person turning down a lot of ideas when somebody comes up with, hey, we should try this. This has these features. And I'm like, no, let's keep it simple. Let's just use GitHub Actions. <laughs> I quite like that. I, well, as everyone knows now, I come from the business side and then moved over to the dark side. <laughs> to the, to the dark side. <laughs> To the data side. So for me, the simpler, the better. It's, I, you know, I'm still learning. This is every day is that there is something new for me. So no, don't give me a bunch of tools. And I, I'm fully with you on that. <laughs> but uh, Abby, I think something I'm really keen about, I'm, I'm really keen to talk about with you is, so you've mainly worked in very small organizations and you love it. So can you tell us maybe what you find is great with that and how you can cope? Because something you mentioned is sometimes you have only one engineer and I think, I guess you have to wear many, many hats. So how do you actually do that? Well, I think there's one core, maybe it's a personality thing as well, which is I enjoy wearing many hats. And that's something I've done from the very start of my career where I had that choice, which is go work with Dropbox versus go work for like a small startup, which had all just started. And I chose to go work with startups because I feel like there's, there's more learning. So maybe it's a little bit greedy on that as well, which is I'm like, 
oh, I'll get to learn more. I'll get my hands dirty for the entire pipeline. And I'm, because I'm younger, I want the experience of everything. And also, I think another thing is sometimes, yes, it does mean a lot of work. But I think what it also teaches you how to do is to be able to prioritize and the, that the fact that the resources are limited. A lot of times, especially if you're working at big companies, you get commissioned on projects that do not add any business value today. They may add business value a couple of years down the lane and they may not. And then the layoffs happen and all of that stuff. Whereas with startups, it's almost like if you're not generating any results almost immediately, if you're not creating revenues in the company immediately, then within three months, you're going to let go off. So I feel like that keeps me grounded or that uh, that is more closer to my values, I would say, which is I want to add true value to the economy in some way instead of like just working on a project for the sake of working on a project or in the anticipation of, oh, it's going to business value to my business if this project eventually gets approved or not. So it's it's very much like today on everything. That's funny because this is exactly the conversation I had uh, with one of my colleagues and it's exactly that. We're working for something that is going to make an impact for now or for next month or, well, I work with uh, university, so it's going to be for the next intake. You know, this is what we're focused on. If you give me a project for in three, I have no idea what I'm going to do in three years. <laughs> I mean, this is, it just seems so far away from me. And like I said, I haven't had that experience in a larger organization, so I have no idea. I mean, I, I've never been exposed to such a project. Another thing I'll probably mention on this part is usually the organization that have longer projects do have more hierarchical structure where you take such a long time to get clearances on every single thing. So for example, anytime you're doing a defense project, it, it would normally take about 18 months to 24 months for even the tiniest amount of project. It's highly unlikely you'll even get the entire permissions within the first six months. So it takes six months to just get the paperwork and to just get the basic permissions and to get set up and just do meetings and meetings. And while some people enjoy that kind of structure, which is, I just want to go in meetings and you know, enjoy this time bonding with other people. I think startups tend to be a little bit more faster where you're implementing something today and you're able to iterate quickly where in machine learning, especially like it's a discipline where you want almost real-time experimentation because if you wait too long, there will be model drifts. The data is going to change as well. So if the project is longer, I don't know how successful those projects are going to be. Like I've not been inside McKinsey. So I, I don't know how many projects McKinsey or BCG or Accenture are implementing, but I would say probably startups are doing better than them. We can ask them, <laughs> but what, what you were saying was, um, actually made me think of one of my friends who was talking about the fact that when they were building models, by the time they had permission to implement the models, then they already had better performing models. But obviously there is also a layer of risk management and all that thing to, to that. But I totally hear that. A few things that, that you said made me pause. So. For example, when you were talking about, you know, how long it takes to, to do things in a small organization versus a, a big one. And you will find yourself sometimes as being 
the only data person in a big organization as well. And what you mentioned here about the the hierarchy thing and the decision making process is it's quite important because when you're in a bigger organization as being the only data person, then your voice is even less heard than if you are a team or if you were the only data person in a smaller organization because so many more people are making decisions as well. That's quite interesting. And also on the learning side, <laughs> you said so the fact that joining startups for you means that you're learning faster. To me, I feel like it's just a preference thing. You know, when you said this is just how you are, I feel like I would work, not work, but learn faster. I guess in an environment that moves a bit less. Um, so I keep talking about the data academy they had at AMIA. Although I never worked for Emia, but I've heard so much of it. And all the time I'm thinking, if I had started my career in an organization that had a data academy where you could learn from other colleagues who had already encountered problems that you're encountering now, had already tested different solutions, to me, at least my learning would happen so much faster. But my role is also much more commercially focused in general than the roles that you're going to have, Abby. So I wonder if on that sense, because there is a big technical community online where you can bounce back ideas and these things, while on the commercial side, it's a bit less. So maybe that plays a role in that as well. I think there are two ways of learning. One is you learn from other people via, you know, wanting to be a student. And wanting to just pick up things quicker because as once you're learning from other people, your entire learning process is very quick. But there, there's a downside to that, which is you're also picking up on the biases. You can't do fact checks quickly. You assume a lot of things that may be true in their experience, but may not actually be true. So there's, there's always that, you know, liability of using somebody else's experience, not having your first had experience in making your own decisions and maybe even eventually you get to do that but i find like i'm I'm not a very trusting person in that regards like if somebody said this is a fact this is true i'll be like no this is not how that works i'm going to go check it for myself make sure i prove you wrong and if i cannot prove you wrong then i'll, I'll agree to you so i like to learn that way but also i think what has made this easier for me is also the fact that, A, I have a lot of friends in the field. Um, so even if I get stuck with something, I can very quickly reach out to somebody else, like a friend of mine, and get them on a call and make sure we're able to debug something super quickly. So I have access to a network, which isn't from that company itself, but it is still from the same field itself. And I do spend time, you know, of course, if I'm getting somebody to jump on calls with me, I'm, I'm spending that much time on their projects as well, collaborating with them. The second thing is the way I also learn best personally is by doing something, implementing something, and then I'll go teach it somewhere else. So for example, if we're building a certain kind of model, I will go present it at an event or a conference. And then I'll say, what well, has been your personal experience, everybody else in the room? And 
gather feedback once I've already implemented something as compared to getting initial feedback from a lot of people where I can then cross question them based on what my exact requirements are or what my bottlenecks with that particular project are, which is now because I've already done something, I already know this is the latency that we actually require, or these these are the resource constraints that we do have. These are the amount of tools that we can do, or this is the amount of time that we have, or these are the people we can have. So this is the amount of complication we can have, and this is what we can't have. So instead of like taking on generalized information from a lot of people, what I'm able to do is pick out specific information and make sure that that specific information is just right for me. This is all great advice. Um, I can definitely feel how you're in such a more advanced place in your career than I am. I mean, this is all I'm drinking it in. This is great. The way I'm coping on my side, in a smaller way, <laughs> I am starting my networking in within this field. And I do reach out to people outside. I mean, Karen's been of great help and some a couple of other people. But I'm still developing it. And what I found is that there's also a couple of people, even if they don't have the same technical skills within my, within my organization, we do, we do once a week or once every couple of weeks, we sit down together, even if it is just to work together, even if it's not in the same thing, but just to bounce back ideas, just to walk through. Okay. I have this idea. I think this is how I'm going to solve this problem. Let me just explain it to you. Does this make sense? And they will have perhaps a different point of view, or perhaps there is part of the knowledge of the product that I don't necessarily know that they have, and they can share it with me, and I can include that within what whatever I'm doing. So there is for me, it's it's not a, a one person team. You need to you need to be sharing it with other people, and then afterwards, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, there's not so many people I can learn from, so it's definitely a lot of trial and error, a lot of error. And then we bounce back and we find different solutions for it. I think something you said was very interesting where you said, you know, I want to discuss things or I want to discuss the project with people from different backgrounds as well. And this is one thing which I found particularly helpful because I have friends who are data scientists, I have friends who are data engineers or ML engineers or people who are software engineers as well. And I'll, I'll brainstorm with every single person. I'll be like, this is what I'm working on. This is how I'm planning to do this. One of the things I've realized is if we're I'm working on an NLP project, I'll have discussion with NLP people. And most of them have very similar way of thinking about that mm. problem. Whereas I'll go with a computer vision person and they would have a very unique way and they'll probably give feedback, which just blows me away. So I feel like your approach is fantastic. <laughs> and there's so much to gain out of that. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely learn every day. <laughs> I mean, it's it's having different access to different mental models, right? So if you, I don't know, you have pain somewhere in your body and you go see a specialist, then they will find a problem in their area. And then you go see another specialist and then they will have they, they will have a different opinion based on their own area. And then everybody's just thinking in, in the way they know, I guess. But Cecilia, what I find super interesting is, I, I mean, the elephant in the room here is that you come from a completely different background. So you didn't start in data. And that's what you pointed out when you said that Abby already has her network. 
in the field and you don't have access to that kind of community yet to be able to bounce back ideas from from that perspective. Um, and I think something the the three of us have in common is this need to be able to talk things through with different people. So really finding a, a different approach to that. So for you, it's reaching out to experts from other areas while you're building your data community that can support you in that is quite important. Yeah, so I, I hadn't realized the problem of having to build a data community, uh, making friends in data when you're coming from from a different field. Because I've been here from the beginning. I've been around from the beginning as well. And you're coming from a, a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, but I have other things to share with the community. <laughs> well, you have, and you have us as well. So oh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the easiest way or the quickest way to build friends in any community is to talk about how you think about particular problems. So wherever is going on in the field, there will always be people who share your interests and just being able to share things, you eventually are able to attract people who are interested in the same things if you share your learning. So one of the things that I have done over I don't know, like I got started in the field back in 2016, 2017. And at that point in time, I didn't have a lot of network. I had some people and I was like, can you guys teach me how to read research papers? They were all PhD students. I was not a PhD student. I didn't know how to do research. And they started giving me research papers to read. The first few took a very long time, but eventually I started seeing how they're picking their papers as well and started identifying the patterns. Same how happens with almost anything. Same happens with data science as well, or now because I'm working very heavily in large language models, which is, I'll, I mean, I am on Twitter, honestly. So on Twitter, basically I'll share a blog post, which is, this is how I think about this particular topic. Or if there's a discussion about context windows, this is how I understand context windows. This is good. This is bad. And usually there will be a back and forth conversation between different people. And that's how I've built up friends. If somebody feels differently than me or somebody challenges what I'm saying, I'll be like, hey, do you want to jump on a quick call and teach me everything or teach me how you think about this? And then next week I'm on a call with the person. Great strategy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel also from when you come from a much more technical background, like, like yourself, Abby, that because people are already thinking open source and sharing ideas, then it's much more likely to be able to have this interaction. I feel on the commercial side, it's a bit harder, but it's still possible to do it and create connections as well. So great tips. I love it. Abby, to wrap up the episode, do you, do you want to share something that you, you're learning at the moment? So where am I learning at the moment? I am uh, expanding my skills on AI agents, basically how to be able to build agents that are able to break a task down into simpler tasks. So the field has been there for quite a few years. I wrote research paper in the field, but back then with the way we were thinking about these agents was from the perspective of game theory or from the perspective of AutoML. But now, because we have access to large language models to be able to do natural language prompting, which makes it easy for us to be able to write prompts and do chain of thought prompting. So I'm, I'm you know, the field is growing so much. There's, there's a very tiny subfield that is growing as well. So I'm learning more so about how can I 
build the right kind of AI agents as well? And how can we make them more performant? How do we make sure that our agents can, we can solve some basic problem. The first problem is the problem of hallucination with them, uh, using knowledge graphs to be able to query a large language model. So it's, it's an, an integration of everything, anything which is an open problem in large language models is of interest to me right now. That is incredibly specific to me. <laughs> I'll get there one day. I feel like I, we could go on about this subject for quite some time. But Abby, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. And I'm sure we'll chat again sometime soon. Well, thank you so much, Cecilia. Thank you so much, Karen. It was really nice talking to you guys. And I'm incredibly grateful for you guys to start this conversation because I've never had this conversation with anybody. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Much less that. have it on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're only recording audio at least so <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us Abby it, it was a pleasure thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest until then if you have two minutes it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible but also to enhance the content if you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.